Chapter Twelve of Our Mr. Wren: The Romantic Adventures of a Gentleman by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Mr. Wren by Sinclair Lewis, Chapter Twelve he discovers america in his white painted steerage berth mr wren lay with a scratch-pad on his raised knees and a small mean pillow doubled under his head writing sample follow-up letters to present to the souvenir and art novelty company interrupting his work at intervals to add a list of the books which beginning about five minutes after he landed in new york he was going to master he puzzled over marie corelli morton liked miss corelli so much but would her works appeal to istra nash he had worked for many hours on a letter to istra in which he avoided mention of such indecent matters as steerages and immigrants he was grateful he told her for all you learned me and he had thought that angusmere was a beautiful place though he now saw what you meant about them interesting people and his new york address would be the souvenir company he tore up the several pages that repeated that oldest most melancholy cry of the lover which rang among the deodors from viking ships from the moonlit courtyards of provence the cry which always sounded about mr wren as he walked the deck i want you so much i miss you so unendingly i am so lonely for you dear for no more clearly no more nobly did the golden akasan or lean dante word that cry in their thoughts than did mr william wren our mr wren a third-class steward with a mangy moustache and setter-like tan eyes came teetering downstairs each step like a nervous pencil-tap on a table and peered over the side of mr wren's berth he loved Mr. Wren, who was proven a scholar by the reading of real bound books, an English history, and a second-hand copy of Haunts of Historic English Writers, purchased in Liverpool, and who was willing to listen to the steward's serial story of how his woman, Mrs. Wargle, faithlessly consorted with Foddle, the cat's-meat man, when the steward was away, and when he was home, cooked for him lights and liver that unquestionably were purchased from the same cat's-meat man. He now leered with a fond and watery gaze upon Mr. Wren's scholarly pursuits, and announced in a whisper, "'They've sighted land!' "'Land? Oh, I!' Mr. Wren sat up so vigorously that he bumped his head. He chucked his papers beneath the pillow with his right hand, while the left was feeling for the side of the berth. "'Land!' he bellowed, to drowsing cabin-mates as he vaulted out. The steerage promenade deck, iron-sided, black-floored, ending in the iron approaches to the galley at one end, and the iron superstructures about a hatch at the other, was like a grim, swart, oilily clean machine-shop aisle, so enclosed, so over-roofed, that the side toward the sea seemed merely a long factory window. But he loved it, and, except when he had guiltily remembered the books he had to read, he had stayed on deck worshipping the naive bright attire of immigrants and the dark roll and glory of the sea now out there was a blue shading made by a magic pencil land his land where he was going to become the beloved comrade of all the friends whose likenesses he saw in the whitecaps flashing before him 
humming he paraded down to the buffet where small beer and smaller tobacco were sold to buy another pound of striped candy for the offspring of the russian jews the children knew he was coming fat rascals he chuckled touching their dark cheeks pretending to be frightened as they pounded soft fists against the iron side of the ship or rolled unregarded in the scuppers their shawled mothers knew him too and as he shyly handed about the candy the chattering stately line of jewish elders nodded their beards like the forest primeval in a breeze saying words of blessing in a strange tongue he smiled back and made gestures and shouted land land with several variations in key to make it sound foreign but he withdrew for the sacred moment of seeing the land of promise he was newly discovering the long island shore the grass-clad redoubts at fort wadsworth the vast pile of new york skyscrapers standing in a mist like an enormous burned forest singing tower butterick building he murmured as they proceeded toward their dock that's something like let's see yes sir by golly right up there between the met tower and the times good old souvenir company office jiminy one dollar to albany something like a sign that is good old dollar to thunder with their darn shillings home see that's where i used to moon on a wharf gosh the old town looks good and all this was his to conquer for friendship's sake he went to a hotel while he had to go back to the zaps of course he did not wish by meeting those old friends to spoil his first day no it was cheerfuller to stand at a window of his cheap hotel on seventh avenue watching the good old american crowd germans irishmen italians and jews he went to the nickelorean and grasped the hand of the ticket-taker the brass button man ejaculating how are you well how's things going with the old show i've been away a couple of months fine and dandy been away eh? Huh? well it's good to get back to the old town eh? summer hotel huh why you're the waiter at pat maloney's ain't you next morning mr wren made himself go to the souvenir and art novelty company he wanted to get the teasing due him for staying away so short a while over as soon as possible the office girl addressing circulars seemed surprised when he stepped from the elevator and blushed her usual shy gratitude to the men of the office for allowing her to exist and take away six dollars weekly then into the entry-room ran rabin one of the travelling salesmen why hello wren wondered if that could be you back so soon thought you were going to europe just got back couldn't stand it away from you old scout you must have been learning to sass back real smart in the old country huh going to be with us again well see you again soon glad to see you back he was not madly excited at seeing rabin still the drummer was part of the good old souvenir company the one place in the world on which he could absolutely depend the one place where they always wanted him he had been absently staring at the sample tables noting new novelties the office girl speaking sweetly but as to an outsider inquired who did you wish to see mr wren why mr gilfogle he's busy but if you'll sit down i think you can see him in a few minutes mr wren felt like the prodigal son with no calf in sight at having to wait on the caller's bench but he shook with faint excited gurgles of mirth at the thought of the delightful surprise mr mortimer r gilfogle the office manager was going to have he kept an eye out for charlie carpenter if charlie didn't come through the entry-room he'd go into the bookkeeping room and talk about your surprises mr gilfogle will see you now said the office girl 
As he entered the manager's office, Mr. Gilfogle made much of glancing up with busy amazement. "'Well, well, Wren, back so soon. Thought you were going to be gone quite a while.' "'Couldn't keep away from the office, Mr. Gilfogle,' with an uneasy smile. "'Have a good trip?' "'Yes, a dandy.' "'How'd you happen to get back so soon?' "'Oh, I wanted to—' "'Say, Mr. Gilfogle, I really wanted to get back to the office again. I'm awfully glad to see it again.' "'Glad to see you.' well where did you go i got the card you sent me from chesterton with the picture of the old church on it why i went to liverpool and oxford and london well kew and ealing and places and i tramped through essex and suffolk all through on foot angusmere and them places just a moment well rabbin what is it why certainly i've told you that already about five times yes i said that's what i had the samples made up for i wish you'd be a little more careful do you hear you went to london did you wren say do you notice any of the novelties we could copy no i'm afraid i didn't mr gilfogle i'm awfully sorry i hunted around but i couldn't find a thing we could use i mean i couldn't find anything that began to come up to our line them english are pretty slow didn't eh well what's your plans now why uh i kind of thought honestly mr gilfogle i'd like to get back on my old job you remember it was to be fixed so I'm afraid there's nothing doing just now, Wren. Not a thing. Of course I can't tell what may happen, and you want to keep in touch with us, but we're pretty well filled up just now. Jake is getting along better than we thought. He's learning. Not one word regarding Jake's excellence did Mr. Wren hear. Not get the job back, he sat down and stammered. Gee, I hadn't thought of that. I'd kind of banked on the souvenir company, Mr. Gilfogle well you know i told you i thought you were an idiot to go i warned you he timidly agreed mourning yes that's so i know you did but uh well sorry wren that's the way it goes in business though if you will go beating it around a rolling stone don't gather any moss well cheer up possibly there may be something doing in said the telephone mr gilfogle remarked into it hello yes that's me well who did you think it was the cat yeah sure no well tomorrow probably all right good-bye then he glanced at his watch and up at mr wren impatiently say mr gilfogle you say there'll be when will there be likely to be an opening now how can i tell my boy we'll work you in if we can you ain't a bad clerk or at least you wouldn't be if you'd be a little more careful by the way of course you understand that if we try to work you in it'll take lots of trouble and we'll expect you not to go flirting around with other firms looking for a job understand that oh yes sir all right we appreciate your work all right but of course you can't expect us to fire any of our present force just because you take the notion to come back whenever you want to hiking off to europe leaving a good job you didn't get on the continent did you no i well oh say how's the grub in london cheaper than it is here the wife was saying this morning we'd have to stop eating if the high cost of living goes on going up yes it's quite a lot cheaper you can get fine tea for two and three cents a cup clothes is cheaper too but i don't care much for the english though there is all sorts of quaint places with a real flavor say mr gilfogle you know i inherited a little money and i can wait a while and you'll kind of keep me in mind for a place if one didn't i say i would yes but you come around see me in a week from now and leave your address with rosie i don't know though as we can afford to pay you quite the same salary at first even if we can work you in the season's been very slack and i'll do what i can for you come in and see me in about a week good day 
Rabin, the salesman, waylaid Mr. Wren in the corridor. "'You kind of look peaked, Wren. Old Googlefogle been lightning to you? Say, I ought to have told you first. I forgot it. The old rat, he's been planning to stick the knife into you all the while. About two weeks ago, me and him had a couple of cocktails at Moquin's. You know how chummy he always gets after a couple of smiles? Well, he was talking about... I was saying you're a good man and hoping you were having a good time, and he said, Yes, he says, he's a good man, but he sure did lay himself wide open by taking this trip. I've got him dead to rights, he says to me. I've got a hunch he'll be back here in three or four months, he says to me. And do you think he'll walk in and get what he wants? Not him. I'll keep him waiting a month before I give him back his job, and then you watch, Rabin, he says to me. You'll see he'll be tickled to death to go back to work at less salary than he was getting, and he'll have sense enough not to try this stunt of getting off the job again after that. And the trip'll be good for him anyway. He'll do better work. Vacation at his own expense. Save us money all around. I tell you, Rabin, he says to me, if any of you boys think you can get the best of the company or me, you just want to try it, that's all. Yes, sir, that's what the old rat told me. You want to watch out for him. Oh, I will. Indeed, I will. Did he spring any of his fairy tale just now? Well, kind of. Say thanks. I'm awful obliged to. Say for the love of Mike, don't let him know I told you. No, no, I sure won't. They parted. Eager though he was for the great moment of again seeing his comrade, Charlie Carpenter, Mr. Wren dribbled toward the bookkeeping room mournfully, planning to tell Charlie of Gilfogle's wickedness. The head bookkeeper shook his head at Mr. Wren's inquiry. Charlie ain't here no longer. Ain't here? No, he got through. He got to boozin' pretty bad, and one morning about three weeks ago, when he had a pretty bad hangover, he told Gilfogle what he thought of him. So, of course, Gilfogle fired him. Oh, that's too bad. Say, you don't know his address, do you? East 118th. Well, I'm glad to see you back, Wren. Didn't expect to see you back so soon, but always glad to see you. Going to be with us? I ain't sure, said Mr. Wren, crabbedly, then shook hands warmly with the bookkeeper to show that there was nothing personal in his snippishness. For nearly a hundred blocks Mr. Wren scowled at an advertisement of cornflakes in the Third Avenue elevated without really seeing it. Should he go back to the souvenir company at all? Yes, he would. That was the best way to start making friends. But he would get our friend Gilfogle at recess, he assured himself, with an outthrust of the jaw like that of the great Bill Wren. He knew Gilfogle's lead now, and he would show that gentleman that he could play the game. He'd take that lower salary and pretend to be frightened, but when he got the chance... He did not proclaim even to himself what dreadful thing he was going to do, but as he left the elevated, he said over and over, shaking his closed fist inside his coat pocket, "'When I get the chance, when I get it!' The flat building where Charlie Carpenter lived was one of hundreds of pressed brick structures apparently all turned out of the same mold. It was filled with the smells of steamy washing and fried fish. Languid with the heat, Mr. Wren crawled up an infinity of iron steps and knocked three times at Charlie's door. No answer. He crawled down again and sought out the janitress, who stopped watching an ice wagon in the street to say, "'I guess you'll be finding him asleep up there, sir.' He do be lying there drunk most of the day. His wife's left him. The landlords give him notice to quit, end of August. Warm day, sir. Be you a bill collector? Mostly it's bill collectors that— Yes, it is hot. 
Superior in manner, but deeply dejected, Mr. Wren rang the downstairs bell long enough to wake Charlie, pantingly got himself up the interminable stairs, and kicked the door till Charlie's voice quavered inside. "'Who's that?' "'It's me, Charlie. Wren.' "'You're in Europe. Can't fool me. Gway from here.' Three other doors on the same landing were now partly open and blocked with the heads of frowsy, inquisitive women. The steamy smell was thicker in the darkness. Mr. Wren felt prickly, then angry at this curiosity, and again demanded, "'Let me in, I say.' "'I tell you it ain't you. I know you.' Charlie Carpenter's pale face leered out. His tousled hair was stuck to his forehead by perspiration. His eyes were red and vaguely staring. His clothes were badly wrinkled. He wore a collarless shirt with a frilled bosom of virulent pink, its cuffs grimy and limp. "'Is old Wren!' come in come in quick collectors always hanging around they can't catch me you bet he closed the door and wobbled swiftly down the long drab hall of the railroad flat evidently trying to walk straight the reeking stifling main room at the end of the hall was terrible as charlie's eyes flies boomed everywhere the oak table which charlie and his bride had once spent four happy hours in selecting was littered with a half a dozen empty whiskey flasks collars, torn sensational newspapers, dirty plates, and coffee cups. The cheap brocade cover, which a bride had once joyed to embroider with red and green roses, was half pulled off and dragged on the floor amid the cigarette butts, durham tobacco, and bacon rinds which covered the green and yellow carpet rug. This much Mr. Wren saw. Then he set himself to the hard task of listening to Charlie, who was muttering, back quick ain't you old wren you come up to see me didn't you you're my friend ain't you eh i got an awful hangover ain't i you don't care do you old wren mr wren stared at him weakly but only for a minute perhaps it was his cattle-boat experience which now made him deal directly with such drunkenness as would have nauseated him three months before perhaps his attendance on a weary istra come now charlie you got to buck up he crooned all right what's the trouble how did you get going like this wife left me i was drinking you think i'm drunk don't you but i ain't she went off with her sister always hated me she took my money out of savings bank three hundred all money i had except fifty dollars i'll fix her i'll kill her took to hitting the booze Gigglefogle fired me don't care drink all i want keep young fellows from getting it say go down and get me a pint just finished up pint got to have one die a thirst bourbon get i'll go and get you a drink charlie just one drink savvy if you'll promise to get cleaned up like i tell you afterward all right mr wren hastened out with a whiskey flask muttering feverishly gee i got to save him returning he poured out one drink as though it were medicine for a refractory patient and said soothingly now we'll take a cold bath heh and get cleaned up and sobered up then we'll talk about a job heh i don't want a bath say i feel better now let's go out and have a drink give me that flask where'd you put it mr wren went to the bathroom turned on the cold water tap returned and undressed charlie who struggled and laughed and let his whole inert weight rest against mr wren's shoulder though normally charlie could have beaten three mr wrens he was run into the bathroom and poked into the tub instantly he began to splash throwing up water in handfuls singing the water poured over the side of the tub 
Mr. Wren tried to hold him still, but the wet, sleek shoulders slipped through his hand like a wet platter. Wholesomely vexed, he turned off the water and slammed the bathroom door. In the bedroom he found an unwrinkled winter-weight suit and one clean shirt. In the living room he hung up his coat, covering it with a newspaper, pulled the broom from under the table, and prepared to sweep. The disorder was so great that he made one of the inevitable discoveries of every housekeeper and admitted to himself that he didn't know where to begin. He stumblingly lugged a heavy pile of dishes from the center table to the kitchen, shook and beat and folded the table cover, stuck the chairs atop the table, and began to sweep. At the door a shining wet naked figure stood bellowing, "'Hey, what do you think you're doing? Cut it out!' "'Just sweeping, Charlie,' from Mr. Wren, and an uninterrupted, "'Tuff, tuff, tuff!' from the broom. "'Cut it out,' I said. "'Whose house is this?' "'Gone back in the bathtub, Charlie.' "'Say, do you think you can run me? Get out of this, or I'll throw you out. Got house way I want it.' Bill Wren, the cattleman, rushed at him, smacked him with the broom, drove him back into the tub, and waited. He laughed. It was all a good joke. His friend Charlie and he were playing a little game. Charlie also laughed and splashed some more. Then he wept and said the water was cold and that he was now deserted by his only friend. "'Oh, shut up!' remarked Bill Wren and swept the bathroom floor. Charlie stopped swashing about to sneer. "'Little ministering angel, ain't you? You think you're awful good, don't you? Come up here and bother me? When I ain't well, Salvation Army, you—' Ah, uh, let me alone, will you? Bill Wren kept on sweeping. Get out, you! There was enough energy in Charlie's voice to indicate that he was getting sober. Bill Wren soused him under once more so thoroughly that his own cuffs were reduced to a state of flabbiness. He dragged Charlie out, helped him dry himself, and drove him to bed. He went out and bought dish towels, soap, washing powder, and collars of Charlie's size, which was an inch larger than his own. He finished sweeping and dusting and washing the dishes, all of them. He, who had learned to comfort Istra, he really enjoyed it. His sense of order made it a pleasure to see a plate yellow with dried egg glisten iridescently and flash into shining whiteness, or a room corner filled with dust and tobacco flakes become, again, a nice square clean corner with the baseboard shining. Gee, just like it was new! An irate grocer called with a bill for fifteen dollars. Mr. Wren blandly heard his threats all through, pretending to himself that this was his home, whose honor was his honor. He paid the man eight dollars on account and loftily dismissed him. He sat down to wait for Charlie, reading a newspaper most of the time, but rising to pursue stray flies furiously, stumbling over chairs, and making murderous flappings with a folded newspaper. When Charlie awoke, after three hours, clear of mind, but not at all clear as regards the roof of his mouth, Mr. Wren gave him a very little whiskey with considerable coffee, toast, and bacon. The toast was not bad. Now, Charlie, he said cheerfully, your bat's over, ain't it, old man? Say, you've been darn decent to me, old man. Lord, how you been sweeping up? How was I, was I pretty soused? Honest, you were fierce. You will sober up now, won't you? Well, it's no wonder I had a classy hangover, Wren. I was at the Amusarian Rathskeller till four this morning, and then I had a couple of nips before breakfast, and then I didn't have any breakfast. But say, man, I sure did have some fiesta last night. There was a little peroxide blonde that— Now look you here, Carpenter. You listen to me. You're sober now. Have you tried to find another job? Yes, I did. But I got down in the mouth. Didn't feel like I had a friend left. Well, you— ha but I guess I have now, old Renski. 
Look here, Charlie, you know I don't want to pull off no charity society stunt or talk like I was a preacher, but I like you so darn much I want to see you sober up and get another job. Honestly, I do, Charlie. Are you broke? Pretty nearly. I only got about ten dollars to my name. I will take a brace, old man. I know you ain't no preacher. Of course, if you came around with any holier-than-thou stunt, I'd have to go right out and get soused on general principles. Yeah, I'll try to get a job. Here's ten dollars. Please take it. Aw, oh, please, Charlie. All right. Anything to oblige. What have you got in sight in the job line? Well, there's a chance at night clerking in a little hotel where I was a bellhop a long time ago. The night clerk's going to get through, but I don't know just when. Probably in a week or two. Well, keep after it, and please come down to see me. The old place, West 16th Street. What about the old girl with the ingrowing grouch? What's her name? She ain't stuck on me. Mrs. Zapp? Oh, hope she chokes. She can just kick all she wants to. I'm just going to have all the visitors I want to. All right. Say, tell us something about your trip. Oh, I had a great time. Lots of nice fellows on the cattle boat. I went over on one, you know. Fellow named Morton. Awfully nice fellow. Say, Charlie, you ought to seen me being butler to the steers, handing em hay. But say, the sea was fine, all kinds of colors. Awful dirty in the cattle boat, though. Hard work? Yeah, kind of hard work. Oh, not so very. What did you see in England? Oh, a lot of different places. Say, I seen some great vaudeville in Liverpool, Charlie, with Morton. He's a slick fellow, works for the Pennsylvania here in town. I got to look him up. Say, I wish we had an agency for college sofa pillows and banners and souvenir stuff in Oxford. There's a whole bunch of colleges there, all right in the same town. I met a prof there from some American college. He hired an automobile and took me down to a regular old inn. Well, well. Like you read about, sanded floor. Get to London? Yeah, gee, it's a big place. Say, that Westminster Abbey's a great place. I was in there a couple of times. More darn tombs of kings and stuff, and I see a bishop with leggings on. But I got kind of lonely. I thought of you a lot of times. I wished we could go out and get an ale together, maybe pick up a couple of pretty girls. Oh, you sport. Say, didn't get over to Gay Paris, did you? Nope. Well, I guess I'd better beat it now. Got to move in. I'm at a hotel. You will come down and see me tonight, won't you? So you thought of me, eh? Yeah, sure, old socks. I'll be down tonight, and I'll get right after that job. It is doubtful whether Mr. Wren would ever have returned to the Zaps had he not promised to see Charlie there. Even while he was carrying his suitcase down West 16th, broiling by degrees in the sunshine, he felt like rushing up to Charlie's and telling him to come to the hotel instead. Lee Teresa, taking the day off with a headache, answered the bell and ejaculated, "'Well, so it's you, is it?' "'I guess it is.' "'What, are you back so soon? Why, you ain't been gone more'n a month and a half, have you?' "'Beware, daughter of southern pride. The little Yankee is regarding your full-blown curves and empty eyes with rebellion, though he says ever so meekly, "'Yes, I guess it is about that, Miss Teresa.' well i just knew you couldn't stand it away from us i suppose you'll want your room back ma here's mr wren back again mr wren ma oh sounded goatee zapp's voice in impish disdain below mr wren's back he he couldn't stand it ain't that like a yankee a slap a wail then mrs zapp's elephantine slowness on the stairs from the basement she appeared, buttoning her collar, smiling almost pleasantly, for she disliked Mr. Wren less than she did any of her other lodgers. 
"'Back already, Mr. Wren? I declare. I was saying to Lee Teresa just yesterday. I just knew you'd be wishing you was back with us. Won't you come in?' He edged into the parlor with, "'How is the sciatica, Mrs. Zapp?' "'I ain't feeling right smart.' "'My room occupied yet?' He was surveying the airless parlor rather heavily, and his curt manner was not pleasing to the head of the house of Zapp, who remarked funereally, "'It ain't taken just now, Mr. Wren, but I dunno. There was a gentleman a-looking at it just yesterday, and he said he'd be permanent if he come. I declare, Mr. Wren, I dunno as I like to have my gentleman just get up and go without giving me notice.' Lee Teresa scowled at her. Mr. Wren retorted, I did give you notice. I know, but, well, I reckon I can let you have it, but I'll have to have four and a half week instead of four. Prices is all going up, so I declare. I was just saying to Lee Teresa, I dunno what we're all going to do if the dear Lord don't look out for us. And, Mr. Wren, I dunno as I like to have you coming in so late nights, but I reckon I can accommodate you. "'It's a good deal of a favor, isn't it, Mrs. Zapp?' Mr. Wren was dangerously polite. Let gentility look out for the sharp practices of the Yankee. "'Yes, but—' It was our hero, our madman of the seven-and-seventy seas, our revolutionist friend of Istra, who leaped straight from the salt-encrusted decks of his laboring steamer to the musty parlor and declared quietly but unmovably, practically unmovably, "'Well, then, I guess I'd better not take it at all.' "'So that's the way you're going to treat us,' bellowed Mrs. Zapp. "'You go off and leave us with an unoccupied room, and, oh, you poor white trash, you!' "'Ma, you shut up and go downstairs,' Teresa hissed. "'Go on!' Mrs. Zapp wobbled regally out. Lee Teresa spoke to Mr. Wren. "'Ma ain't feeling a bit well this afternoon. I'm sorry she talked like that. You will come back, won't you?' She showed all her teeth in a genuine smile, and in her anxiety reached his heart. "'Remember, you promised you would.' "'Well, I will, but—' Bill Wren was fading, an affrighted specter. The butt was the last glimpse of him, and that Teresa overlooked, as she bustlingly chirruped. "'I knew you would understand. I'll skip right up and look at the room and put on fresh sheets.' One month, one hot New York month, passed before the imperial Mr. Gilfogle gave him back the job, and then at seventeen dollars and fifty cents a week instead of his former nineteen dollars. Mr. Wren refused upon pretext to go out with the manager for a drink, and presented him with twenty suggestions for new novelties and circular letters. He rearranged the unsystematic methods of Jake, the cub, and two days later he was at work as though he had never in his life been farther from the souvenir company than Newark. End of chapter 12 Read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.